1: Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy.
2: Fall Guy. the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now.
0: What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read at PG 13.
1: Good luck with the most beautiful game. Do us proud. Red enough. They're up and running again. How on earth did that happen?
2: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Wondergoal, the soccer betting podcast from the Action Network. My name is Michael Leboff, and joining me today for a very special North London Derby edition of the podcast are my friends, and action colleagues, BJ Cunningham in Arsenal Tragic, coming to you out of Iowa, and Anthony DeBundo, a uh, Tottenham do or dire, coming from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I'm going to just turn it over to you, Anthony, to start because we're starting with North London Derby. It's a Sunday, 1130 30 a.m. kickoff. And since Spurs are home, I'll let you go first. Uh, Tottenham's plus 150 on the money line, Arsenal plus 195, the draws plus 230.
0: Take it away. So BJ and I have at least partial agreement on what we think is, is going to happen in this game on Sunday. Tottenham comes into this game off of uh, back-to-back losses in the league cup, the Carabao cup semifinal to Chelsea. They did have a come from behind win against Morecambe in the, uh, in the FA cup. So they've, they've had some cup matches and they're starting to be some cracks within the squad depth and with injuries being a bit of an issue for this match. Looks like Homan Son is going to be out for Spurs. So there are some issues for Tottenham in attack, but we still have to go and look at the aggregate since Antonio Conte took over as Tottenham manager back in early November. Since then, Spurs, 1.9 expected goals for per 90. That is the third best in the league. Arsenal in that same time frame since Martinelli has been put in the squad since Saka has started to improve uh, his numbers this year. 1.89 expected goals per 90. That is the fourth best right behind Tottenham. Uh, and only Liverpool and City have better numbers in that time frame. So we're, we're dealing with two teams who are playing at a much higher level than they were earlier in the year. Yet the market isn't all that different from what the line was in the first match. Once you factor in home field, Arsenal was a slight home favorite in the first match. Now Tottenham is the slight home favorite at home. The one thing here that, that concerns me with Arsenal is their, their defense has been great at home. But when they've gone on the road, that has not held up. Uh, 1.6 expected goals allowed to Leeds. There was one plus two controversial bar decisions against Everton. They allowed four expected goals to Liverpool and then 1.9 to Manchester United. There was a penalty in there as well. So they're conceding 1.6 expected goals per 90 away from home. That is seventh worst in the league. And in terms of attack, they're running about five goals ahead of their expected goal difference. Spurs are running five goals behind. So Tottenham's had a lot of big misses big scoring chances that they haven't finished off, especially Harry Kane. You expect regression there. And Arsenal, as good as they've been in the last two months, has not been as good as maybe the the narrative is starting to get on them, beating up on some of the bad teams in this league. So I'm actually going to play both Spurs, draw no bet at minus 120, and the over two and a half goals at Minus 110, I believe. And I'm going to play both of those because I think Arsenal is vulnerable in a couple of areas, but the main one is up the wings where I think Spurs in their back three are going to be able to exploit Arsenal and catch them out a little bit here. Tierney likes to get forward quite a bit. I think over the top to Lucas Moura will be an open opening. And with the fullbacks effect of getting forward as well, I think uh, Spurs will be able to uh, attack there. Whereas I think Arsenal probably controls most of the midfield in this match. I don't think that they're going to be able to create a lot of big scoring chances. Spurs, the number one improvement we've seen with them since Conte has arrived defensively, there's still some cracks. They're still allowing shots, but they've actually cut down on the big scoring chances allowed of late, and I think that's uh, going to be important here in a match that I think ends 2-1 to Spurs.
2: Arsenal uh, sitting at 35 points, Spurs 33 uh, with two games at hand for the race for fourth place. There's a couple of things I want to just touch on narratively, not just about this game, but also the weekend. Like it's It feels so nice to have what looks like it's going to be a full slate of games, but it also feels really nice to have a North London derby with some real jeopardy to it. You know, this, this is a huge game for both of these teams in the, the race for fourth place. Um, and I think you can kind of play some of that into your handicap because I trust Tottenham more in this spot than I think I would trust Arsenal. Uh, we've seen Arsenal be overmatched by better teams and the Spurs improvement, throw out the two EFL Cup games under Conte. It does look legitimate to me. We're now talking about an eight game sample size. So still not big, but nearly half a season. And uh, the expected goal differential is plus 12. You know, if you're a dozen expected goals to the good in eight games, that's uh, pretty good. Five of those games are clean sheets. Uh, so I'm going to be with Anthony on Tottenham. BJ, I'm sorry to say it, but before you talk about your bet, what is Arsenal's path to success here? Like if you are betting Arsenal, if you're an Arsenal fan and you want to get down on the Gunners, what is the path to success for them?
1: Well, the path to success, is you know, it's, it's kind of twofold. It's one, the back line has to hold up. They have to play an unbelievable game. Aaron Ramsell is probably going to have to stand on his head because I kind of disagree with Anthony that I don't think Arsenal is really going to win this game in the midfield because they're so short-handed right now. Thomas Party is at Africa Cup of Nations, Elmeny who's been a backup most of the season as after Africa Cup of Nations. Granted, Shaka is injured, so that basically just leaves Lakonga in the midfield. So that means that Odegaard is probably going to have to move back, and Arteta might switch up the formation and go to a 4-4-2 or a 4-4-1-1 like he's done a couple times, and I think that's probably what he's going to have to do for this match to hold off the Tottenham attack. Arsenal, offensively, has been improving a ton, and I agree they have played somewhat of an easy schedule, but since the 4-0 loss to Liverpool in late November... Like Anthony mentioned, Arsenal has averaged around 1.9 expected goals per match. And the reason for that, I think, is twofold. First, the emergence of Gabriel Martinelli has provided another goal scoring threat on the left wing, something that Nicolas Pepe hasn't been able to provide. Martinelli has four goals in his last eight appearances with a .46 expected goal per 90-minute scoring rate. That's really, really good for a winger. And then secondly, Martin Odegaard has turned into one of the best attacking midfielders and suppliers in the Premier League. In his last eight matches, he has 34 shot-creating actions, 38 progressive passes, and 17 passes completed in the penalty area. That's the most in the Premier League during that time span. So with him supplying the attack, Tottenham potentially going to be without Eric Dyer for this one. So that leaves them a little bit vulnerable at the back. I agree with Anthony on the over that I think that this is a little too low for the odds. You know, the over two and a half is at even money right now. I have 2.85 goals projected for this one. So basically since Conte took over, you have the third and fourth best offenses versus, you know, an Arsenal midfield that's going to be depleted, potentially a a Tottenham defense that is going to be without Eric Dyer. I think this has overwritten all over it. But what I will say is that if I was an unbiased person, this is what I would say. I would say that I have projected value on Tottenham, that I think they're a little underpriced even with Son out. And that if I wasn't an Arsenal fan, maybe I would bet on Tottenham, draw no bet at minus 120. But there are certain times as a fan where your wallet matters more than your team. And there are other times where your team matters more than your wallet. This is a certain time. This is as big a stakes as I've, I've in the last, I don't know, two to three years of a North London Derby. So my team matters more than my wallet in this one. So I'm with Anthony on over two and a half goals, even money, but I will be passing on betting on either team in this one.
0: Yeah, I mean, we talked about the stakes, right? Right now, Projected top four odds, Arsenal 38%, Spurs 31% projected to finish within one point of each other based on the 538 projections. My own power ratings have them as the fourth and the fifth best team and now ahead of Manchester United. I'm pretty confident that uh, one of those three will be the top four. And I think the winner of this match becomes the favorite if there is a winner. If not, I'd probably lean towards Spurs because of those games in hand. But I think the one interesting thing, and we've talked about this on the pod before, is Arsenal and their lack of pressing. Well, it's, it's improved quite a bit in the last month or two. And a lot of that is Martinelli, who does a lot of pressing from the front. The beginning of the season, first 10 matches under Arteta, 15.72 passes per defensive action. That was the worst in the league. Since then, they're up to 11.49. That's the 12th highest. So not great, but certainly better. And another interesting thing here, in terms of opponents' passes per defensive action, that number's gone up. So Arsenal's had more control of the game. They played with the ball even more, uh, and they've been able to kind of withstand opponents trying to win the ball off them better. And that, that all projects well out in the long term. Although in this game, I think it's going to be very interesting uh, that you mentioned the midfield battle. We don't know Xhaka's status. Spurs have a bit of a midfield issue themselves in the sense that Ndombele is out of favor right now. Could be Hoiber and Skip. I think that's what it's going to be. Could see some winks. None of those guys are really progressive passers necessarily. And so I think uh, that makes for a really interesting situation if Spurs attempt to bypass the midfield like they did against Liverpool and and really just get it into their, their best players.
1: Yeah. And so for, you know, the narrative about Arsenal not, you know, playing well against the bigger sides, they were the better side against Manchester City for the first hour of that match. They only allowed 0.54 expected goals to City in the first 60 minutes. And then of course Stuart Atwell had to give a phantom penalty and a bull crap red card. And the whole match, you know, went to shit. But Tottenham does have City and Chelsea on deck in the next month or so. With two games in hand, if Arsenal can win this, get three points, they can take a five-point lead. Essentially, Tottenham still would have two games in hand, but they do have that tough schedule coming up. So this is huge for both teams, obviously, because if Tottenham can get this one, it allows them more breathing room against Chelsea and City. But if Arsenal wins this one, it's going to put a
2: lot of pressure on Tottenham to get up in that top four spot. All right. I think uh, we covered the North London Derby. Enough there. So we'll move on to another Derby. An interesting one. Brighton, plus 110 against Crystal Palace, plus 295. The draw is plus 225. This is a Friday, 3 p.m. kickoff, Friday Night Lights in the Premier League. An incredible story. So, yeah, these two teams, this is a legitimate rivalry for a while. Crystal Palace was the closest team in the EFL or the FA back then, I guess, the closest team to Brighton. But this rivalry really hit a crescendo back in, I believe it was 2010-ish, maybe a little later than that, when um, they were playing in a playoff to be promoted out of the championship. And in the second leg of that playoff, Crystal Palace traveled to Brighton. And while the game was going on, the Crystal Palace bus driver took a dump all over the Brighton locker room. It smeared it everywhere. He actually did that. Um, So that is a true story. (laughs) And we'll set up a... (laughs) It, what should be a, a good game between two really good teams that don't like each other. Brighton's plus 110 at home. Palace plus 295. The draw's plus 225. The over-under here set at 2.25. So it's a low total. Palace defense, fifth in non-penalty expected goals allowed. Third in big chances allowed. Brighton sixth in non-penalty expected goals allowed. Second in big chances allowed. I think you can tell where I'm going with this one. I really like the draw at plus 225 in a game where I think you're going to see two teams Just strength on strength, defense on defense. Neither team has, uh, you know, all that much uh, teeth to their offense. So not a worry there that I don't think either one is going to be able to really separate themselves. I don't think the game's going to get out of hand. So the draw should always be in play. So yeah, give me the draw here, plus 225 in this bizarre rivalry. Uh, BJ, you got anything for Brighton and Pals?
1: I have a couple of live scenarios, but if we go back to uh, when these teams first met, if you remember... Neil Mape scored a 95th minute chip over the keeper and then taunted the Crystal Palace crowd. And it got a little dangerous (laughs) for a little bit uh, with the fans, you know, potentially almost like storming the field, throwing things at the Brighton team. So this is a a real rival. And I did not know that story about the bus driver, but that is hilarious. From a live scenario, Crystal Palace is one of the the biggest discrepancies between first half and second half performances. In the first half this season, they have a minus 2.4 expected goal differential, but in the second half. They have a plus 7.3 expected goal differential while Brighton is around even. Uh, in terms of expected goal differential in the second half so you could potentially wait uh, and if Brighton scores first you can potentially maybe get Crystal Palace at a decent number plus half a goal or to at least get a draw because they do have a positive expected goal differential when playing from behind this season I was looking at both teams to score no at minus 110 but Brighton is without Basuma who's at the Africa Cup of Nations it looks like Mwepo is also going to be out and that's those two are very vital for Brighton's pressing especially against a Crystal Palace offense that's 15th in offensive passes per defensive action. So I'll be staying away from this one. Might get on Crystal Palace live. uh, if The scenario comes up, but other than that, uh, I'm staying away from this rivalry.
0: The Brighton story this year is just fascinating. And it's been a thing for a couple of years now, but how bad they are as favorites when they have to get margin and how good they are as underdogs when teams have to try to beat them. And it's really been an ongoing story. I mean, if you look at their last handful of games, they play Chelsea, Outplay them from the large stretches of that match, get a tie. Uh, they outplay Everton for large stretches of that match, but still barely hold on late uh, as an underdog. But they do get the win uh, when they play West Ham as an underdog. They get a late goal and they keep it competitive the entire match. But when they go play Leeds, where they're a favorite, they create 2.1 expected goals, can't find the winning goal, cannot finish. Uh, and we're in a similar spot here, I think. Palace, you mentioned it, revenge spot. One of the bigger revenge spots of the year, your biggest rival in the M23 Derby named after the highway that connects South London to the South coast scores a goal that was completely undeserved. I know we all, I think, I know I had Brighton and yep, salvaged a push there completely undeserved. And then you throw in the taunting with the fans and everything. This is a highly spirited affair for sure, but really palace played well in their last game against West Ham. they, Won the XG battle 2.2 to 1.2 when you take out the very controversial penalty that was awarded to the Hammers in that game that I did not think was a penalty. I thought it was a harsh decision. Classic VAR handball that didn't really impact the game. They also hit the post and the bar, Palace did in that game. So they easily could have won it and nearly did steal a point late after coming from 3-0 down. Uh, And and really, they're the unluckiest team in the league when you compare their expected goal difference to their actual goal difference and their position in the table. So if you look at the number, it's not quite there for me to play it. I would need minus 115 on plus a half to get in on Palace, but I'll be watching because, like you mentioned, Mwepu and Basuma may both be out. That really hurts this midfield. And I think uh, Palace will happily give the ball to Brighton, but I don't know that they'll be able to, Brighton will be able to necessarily do anything with it against what's been a pretty sturdy Palace back line. So I'm looking to play Palace, but I need a better number than the current one. Basuma,
2: 18 months left on his contract. He's been mentioned in some transfer rumors the past couple of days. That would be a big blow to Brighton. 7.30 a.m. on Saturday, the co-headliner for the weekend is Manchester City, minus 145, hosting Chelsea, 4-1 to on the money line. The draw's plus 310. Chelsea is 10 points behind City in the title race. City's at 53 points, Chelsea at 43, Liverpool 42. The Blues are coming off a couple strong performances in the EFL Cup against Spurs. Once again, like the draw here. I think this is going to be a classic low event game where City, a lot of times when we build up these kind of games, especially when they involve Manchester City, whether it's going to be a City-Liverpool game or City-Chelsea, whoever it's going to be, the last City-Liverpool game, notwithstanding, a lot of times these these games really fail to meet expectations in terms of uh, casual fans. And and I just don't think City is going to come out of a shell that much in this one because a draw doesn't do Chelsea any good here. Chelsea needs to go for it if they want to get back into the title race. So a little game theory leads me to the draw. I think this will be a pretty low event game where Pep will set his side up to really just park the big blue bus. BJ, what do you have for this one?
1: Yeah, I'm going to go under two and a half goals at plus 105 once again in this matchup, which I think we did twice last season. So these teams essentially have met four times since last April and every single match has ended with less than 2.3 non penalty expected goals created. So the question is what's changed so much that the under two and a half goals is at plus 105? In my opinion, not a lot. You know, obviously Chelsea has Rolou Lukaku now, City has Jack Grealish. But City is still this possession-dominant side. They're still very dominant defensively. Chelsea, obviously, they were running incredibly hot defensively to begin the season and were overperforming their expected goals. However, they're still a really good, solid defensive unit, allowing only .85 non-penalty expected goals per match and are top five in shots allowed per 90 minutes, big scoring chances allowed, and box entries allowed. And they've been really, really good as of late as well. They've only allowed 3.5 expected goals in their last five Premier League matches. The last time these two teams met earlier on in the season, City absolutely dominated Chelsea. Chelsea only had five shots, eight touches in city's penalty area, and city was able to hold 60% possession. Well, now Manchester city is on average holding over 68% possession. They've held over 70% possession in their last four matches. So they've really turned in back to this possession dominant side, rather than the direct attacking team that we kind of saw earlier in the season. So I have a hard time seeing how Chelsea is going to be able to honestly control much of the possession and really hit City on the counter. City's looked incredible defensively. They have been, you know, they were a tad shaky against Arsenal in the first half. Obviously, you know, Arsenal got the red card and, you know, didn't really create anything for the rest of the match. But City offensively hasn't really been at their best as of late. Only one expected goal against Brentford. Like I already mentioned, 0.54 expected goals against Arsenal in the first 60 minutes. They're going to be without Phil Foden. They're going to be without Riyad Mahrez for this match. I I understand that City has a ton of depth and talent in their attacking ranks, but those two guys have combined for 10.2 expected goals and 5.5 expected assists this season. So it is a tad bit of a blow. I only have
2: 2.34
1: goals projected for this one. So I love under two and a half goals at plus 105. And I think we're going to see another low event game between these two teams.
2: All right, we'll move on to Turf Moor. 10 a.m. kickoff on Saturday. Plus 190 is Burnley hosting Leicester, who come back at plus 150. Leicester's going to play a game, I guess. Uh, The draw is plus 240. Uh, Burnley's played two games in a month. Leicester City's played two games in a month. These are two pedestrian defenses with offenses. Leicester's at least is, is pretty good and will punish you if on the counter with Jamie Vardy, et cetera. I do want to say that Chris Wood moving from Burnley to Newcastle and when you're when you're selling, you're basically you're the focal point of your offense. I know Maxwell Cornett has been really good, but he's more of a creator, but really peculiar move for Burnley, almost like a little bit of a semi white flag in the in the relegation battle. Like we can't contend with what Newcastle is going to do. So why not cash in on it? However, I think this game is going to be more wide open than I guess people would expect when, when you're thinking about a Burnley match, especially one at home where they're going to need three points or at least a point against a better opponent. You expect Sean Dyche to kind of set up in a very pragmatic four-four-two 4 and, and hope just to outlast his opposition. But that's just not really how Burnley's been playing this year. They've been very leaky in the back. Um, So I think a plan and over, even if you want to do an alt line, isn't terrible. I'll probably be passing on this one, but that's where I'm looking. Anthony, you got anything for Burnley and Leicester?
0: Yeah, you know, I really do want to play the under here, but BJ will tell you the set piece numbers. I'm sure the Leicester's conceded more on set pieces than any team in the league. And Burnley gets a lot of their chances off of set pieces. That's a matchup issue. And especially when you consider the Leicester team news here and and who's out, Wesley fafana has been out forever. Johnny Evans is going to be out again. It looks like Jamie Vardy is out. Ndidi is at AFCON. Amarte is at AFCON. Iannaccio is at AFCON. Uh, who, who are the good attackers left? Uh, is, I guess Madison and DACA are going to start. Um, so Burnley doesn't have Chris Wood anymore. The release clause that the story behind that is actually wild in the sense that Kieran Trippier signs with Newcastle and he happens to have the same agent as Chris Wood. And, you know, maybe there was like a nudge nudge. He has a release clause. And then Newcastle, I don't know if they're going to play Chris Wood or not or what the story there is but they just took the best striker off their fellow relegation battle team. So uh, that's probably plus EV for them. But uh, yeah, I lean under two and a half here. Both teams have not been quite as bad defensively as the numbers suggest in terms of goals allowed. I do expect some Leicester unders eventually. We got one against Liverpool somehow, but I can't play this given the the set piece numbers. So I'm going to pass.
2: Yeah, I think uh, you touched on it. The set piece issue is real, but without Chris Wood, uh, one of the guys who will be thundering through the box to uh, head home across it, maybe it's muted a little bit. BJ, you are leaning towards the over here, though, a little slight disagreement with Anthony, right?
1: Yeah, the disrespect to Jay Rodriguez and Aaron Lennon on this podcast, man. Uh, yeah, Very so... <laughs> there's too much to sort out from a player personnel standpoint for this one. But I do think that, you know, a couple of things have kind of canceled out to where there is some, the, the value on the over still kind of exists. So obviously Chris Wood is going to Newcastle. Cornet is with the Ivory Coast at the Africa Cup of Nations. So it's probably going to be Aaron Lennon and Jay Rodriguez because Vidra has COVID, but I do think they will be able to create chances against Leicester's unbelievably depleted defense. So like Anthony mentioned, Johnny Evans is out, along with a whole host of other guys, and also Daniel Armati, who was playing out of position at center back, filling in for Evans alongside Suyunko. That's a problem going up against you know Tarkovsky and me, who are going to be the focal points on the corners. And Anthony said, I'd mention it. I have to. Leicester, nine goals allowed off of corners this season, allowing 0.15 expected goals per corner. That's the worst mark in the Premier League. Burnley still has a bunch of big bodies that can get in there and get their head on the ball and put it in the back of the net. Lester is also allowed 26 shots inside the six yard box, which is the third most in the premier league. So even without wood, even without Corne, I do think they will be able to get some chances close to the box and hopefully they will be able to put it in the back of the net on the flip side. I think seeing Pats and Daka in the lineup is going to be actually a plus for Leicester with Vardy out and Ian Acho at AFCON. Daka has a 0.61 expected goal per 90 minutes scoring rate. When he's gotten a couple of chances in the Europa League, he's really performed well. Four goals against Spartak Moscow. Leicester still has James Madison, Harvey Barnes, Lookman all healthy going up against a very poor Burnley defense, which is allowing 1.52 expected goals per match and has only held their opponents under one expected goal four times this season. I have 2.85 goals projected for this match. I understand all the personnel issues with both teams, but I think it all kind of cancels out. So I like the price on over two and a half goals at minus 110, but it's got to be minus 110 or
2: better. At what point are Wolverhampton games going to start featuring some goals? Total goals per game, 1.47 for Wolverhampton this season. That is the lowest in all of Europe's major leagues. The next lowest team is obviously a La Liga team that's Getafe at 1.7 in terms of the Premier League it's Brighton at 2.11 so over half a goal more per game from Wolves to Brighton it's just unbelievable 14 goals on the season scored 14 goals allowed for Bruno Lage's men once again I will remind people that one person on this podcast who will go unnamed said that Wolves (laughs) was going to be an over team because of all the talent before the season they were wrong. Well, they were. <laughs> yeah, the they first, should. like, three matches. Yeah, that's true. Uh, God, it's, it's pretty, it's just unbelievable. I The old, like, cliche and the old trope about soccer is like, nothing happens. Well, in Wolves games, that's mm-hmm. that's basically true. And it shouldn't because there's talent on the team. I think Anthony talks about it a lot on the show. Like, at some point, the goals will start coming in a Wolverhampton game. And I guess Saints is this against Southampton. This is probably a good spot. So let's set this one up. Wolverhampton is plus 120. At home, hosting Southampton, plus 250. The draw is plus 240 very, very tempted by the number on the draw, but I'm going to probably just pass on this one entirely because I do wonder when these goals are going to come. I'm horrified about it. Like at some point there's going to be like a six, two game with Wolves and and Southampton is a type of team that it can come against. They play a much more high event style. Uh, Anthony do you have anything
0: for saints and Wolves? Yeah. You know, the goals are coming. uh, I promise. Uh, I don't know when I might not have any bankroll left by the time they do come back. Uh, But 24 expected goals allowed, 14 actual goals allowed. United routed one off the bar from close range. Uh, shout out to João Moutinho for the goal uh, against United to win that one last week. Saints, you know, they were the team early in the year where I kept saying, look, the attacking regression is coming. It's coming. It's coming. Well, they've scored nine goals in their last four games from about four expected goals. So they've now, for the season, come right back in at 24 goals and 25 expected goals. The classic XG story, we do love when they have a happy ending for Saints in this case, although not hopefully too happy because I do have a season point total under on them. Uh, Overall, I think the market is a little low on the total, but do I really want to back Wolves to go over after nine straight unders when I could have said the same exact spiel last week and backed an over when they had eight straight unders? Uh, I don't really think this sets up to be a huge open game necessarily. So I'm going to pass here, but I I do lean toward both Saints and the over. And and BJ, you think
2: this one, could be a, a, a sleepy spot for someone who's looking at getting on, on a, like a live bet you know when it's zero zero in the 87th minute perhaps
1: yeah so what's kind of shocking about wolves is that if you look you know at their actual goals scored in like first and second half it's it's basically nothing obviously because eight straight or eight straight unders or, or eight or nine straight unders however much it is but in the first half this season wolves's matches are only allowed are only averaging around 1.67 expected goals per in the first half in the second half they haven't really scored much it's only around their average Actual total is only around like 1.4 per match, but their expected is at 2.9. That means there's a lot more chances being created in the second half. And their spectacle differential is about even. So to Anthony's point, the goals are coming. And I think if we're going to have goals in this one, it's most likely going to be in the second half. So there could be a scenario, you know, obviously, you know, game states, whatever happening, you know, obviously that all matters. You don't just take this blindly, but if we get a new scenario where, you know, both teams are at least creating something like if it's, it's not like, you know, like a 0.1 to 0.2 expected goals in the first half, there's a chance you can get in on a over one goal or maybe even over half a goal live, you know, late into the second half and try to get a late winner on somebody. As far as the price is concerned, I do have a little bit of value on Wolves plus 130, but they're similar to one of these teams with Brighton that I don't trust them. Uh, to get margin against some of these lower you know, sides that are below them. And the funny thing about Wolves is that we talked about the beginning of the season, oh my gosh, they're the new Brighton, like, you know, they're so unlucky and everything like that. Well, now it's completely flipped. Like, they have a minus 6.2 expected goal differential, but they're in eighth place. Like, they should be way lower on the table than where they're at. So I'm staying away from Wolves until they show any sign of life offensively. But I do think, given the, that positive offensive regression coming in the second half, I do think there's a chance you can
2: get on this over live at a better number. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna call it a relegation battle because it is because Everton stinks. They're terrible. I hate them. Stop. North City plus 285 hosting Everton. Uh, even money favorites on the road somehow. They should be 10 to 1 in every game against every team. The draws is plus 265. There's some good news for the Toffees though coming. Uh Richarlison was at practice today. His South American friend, yari Mina, he was back at training today. Dominic Calvert-Lewin looks set for another full 90. This should be a get-right spot for this Everton team. They should have a squad that looks closer to where you'd expect them to be in terms of its talent with maybe Nathan Patterson finally giving Seamus Coleman a blow at right fullback, and then Vitaly Mikalenko coming in for Luka Dean, who's... Now out of the picture, unfortunately, after uh, falling out with Rafa Benitez, he's now with Aston Villa and this Norwich City team is there for the taking, bet them to pull an upset against West Ham over the midweek. They no-showed again. 15 goals allowed, zero goals for in their last six games and the expected goals numbers. Yeah, they have obviously created like close to four, I believe, expected goals four. So there is some offensive regression coming. But we've been saying that about this team for so long. I actually wouldn't be surprised if Everton really just pummels Norwich on Saturday. But like I said, Everton stinks. So I don't know if you can bet them at this number here. Anthony, uh, what do you have for toffees and canaries?
0: Yeah, it was actually a miracle. I stayed off Norwich over team total today uh, against West Ham. I I came very close. Of course, they hit the post, didn't score, uh, but didn't really create much either. So you can't really say it was the right side. I did stay away. However, I am not staying away this week. Uh, I'm taking both teams to score. Yes, Everton's bad. And you've said this before. We've said this on the show a lot, but they actually have the worst goal difference, expected goal difference in even game states this year. Uh, And fourth worst when playing with a lead. When these two teams played earlier in the year, Everton wasn't 100% healthy, but they were relatively uh, healthy compared to some of the other matches they had where they were rolling out the B team. Everton conceded 10 shots and almost a full expected goal. Norwich completed more passes, had more touches in the final third. They had a penalty go against them. They lost 2 0. Probably could have been a 1 0, 1 1 type of game, but Norwich really did have their chances to score in that match. And that was at Everton. Now they're at home. They might just be totally cooked. And we're going to lose money on them for a lot of the second half of the season. But I have to think there's some type of a, of a dead cat bounce here, some effort uh, for them to get a goal at some point. And so I think this is as good of a spot for them to score at this price as you're going to have all year. This is not a big six team playing against them. This is Everton uh, on the road. And so I'm going to take both teams to score in this one, and I'm going to hold my nose for all 90 minutes. I'm probably not, going to have this game on, given that it's Saturday at 10 a.m., but I will just be waiting for the alert that says Norwich won,
2: Everton won, and then I'll feel good. you know who will be having this game on at 10 a.m. on Saturday morning? That'll be me under the covers and just really feeling horrible for myself. If you're not in betting for uh, feeling some sort of self-loathing, then why are you betting at all? BJ ever did in norwich man yeah like kind i'm of
1: kind game. of in the uh yeah i'm gonna kind of be in similar vein as anthony i'm gonna go over two and a half goals at plus 105 kind of maybe protect myself uh if the norwich offense just truly is is as bad as uh, they've been showing but you know i do think that especially against an everton defense that has struggled this season norwich creating 4.5 expecting goals in their last six matches but not finding the back of the net once i think they're well overdue to score Everton, we'll see if they're going to be without Yuri Mina, but the Everton defense has been really bad as of late 12.5 expected goals allowed in their last seven matches, but Everton, I think Everton overs might be a thing kind of going forward with Dominique Calvert-Lewin back in the mix. You know, the last time, last time they were out, they played that chaotic match against Brighton. They almost came back in one and stole a point. But they, you know, were able to create 1.7 expected goals on a, a top six defense in the Premier League. So that's actually pretty impressive. And now they get to face one of the worst defenses in the in the league. Norwich was horrible against West Ham, allowed three big scoring chances. You know, West Ham could have honestly just picked their score. They had a couple, You had know, one Vard off, you know, had a couple other chances that went begging. Tim Krul should have gotten a penalty called against him. But Norwich, 1.75 expected goals allowed per match. They're bottom five in every single defensive metric. Everton, With Damari Gray and Townsend healthy alongside Dominique Calvert Lewin helps a ton. If her Charleston comes back, that's an even added bonus. The big thing about Everton we talk about whenever they have to play, have to play the bigger sides, they're terrible when te- against teams that press them. Well, that's not Norwich. Even though they press at a high rate, Norwich is dead last in pressure success rate only around 27% this season. I have 2.55 goals projected, so a little bit of value on over two and a half goals at plus 105, uh, and I agree with Anthony that... We will hopefully start to see some Norwich offensive regression, but I'm going to take over and kind of protect myself against that in case Everton wins three, nothing.
0: BJ just broke the first rule of the podcast that I just randomly instituted, which is that you cannot call any team an over team ever after Michael's wolves are an over team <laughs> no, call. We don't know. We don't, we don't know who said it. We're not going to say who
2: said it. it someone be. on this podcast did say in the previous show that wolves was going to be an over team. We don't say who, uh, From one relegation battle to another, Newcastle, plus 105 at home against Watford, plus 255. The draw is plus 265 here. Uh, Boy, like we said, Chris Wood now in Newcastle. Kieran Trippier should make his debut. I haven't seen anything to suggest otherwise yet. But (laughs) the last time Newcastle played, uh, they played against Cambridge United at home. They had one of their new owners in town. The rumor was that he came because he thought this was a guaranteed win in the FA Cup against Cambridge United. And guess what? They lost. Uh, I think the number here on Watford is good enough. Uh, I hope it goes up. I hope it ticks up a little bit more, but 255 on the money line. I think I'm going to be in. We talk about it all the time with Newcastle. This is a terrible defense and they're going up against a terrible defense, but Watford, even with some guys out, Ismail Asar most notably should still be able to find a way to score in this game and they did show a little bit of moxie. They were much more encouraging defensively against Tottenham in their last match. So maybe the defense is starting to turn a minor corner. I'm not expecting it to get better. Uh, but look, this is a game where where Newcastle should be there for the taking and then Watford can have one of their weird performances like they did against Everton, like they did against Manchester United. They should have a pretty good chance of winning this game. I think they have a better chance than the odds suggest, even on the road. Uh, so give me Claudio Ranieri's Hornets to pull the upset against Newcastle in what is a true true relegation battle here. Bj, you have anything for for these two wonderful teams?
1: No, not not right now. I lean Watford. I have Newcastle projected at plus one nineteen. It's just very hard to get behind. It seems kind of crazy to sit here and be like, yeah, I'm not going to take Watford when we have Newcastle who has you know they basically only had one win against the lower side and it was against Norwich. But, you know, no Callum Wilson for this one, for Newcastle. Tyrion Trippier is obviously going to help them a ton. Defensively, Newcastle has a couple other guys out. Emmanuel Dennis will be – looks like he'll be playing for Watford. He was back in training. So (laughs) – It's just, it's just hard, you know, you know, I'm looking at the matrix right now and neither of these teams are in the, (laughs) are in the bottom five of pretty much everything that we look at. So it's very hard for me to get behind either one of these teams. If for some reason, Newcastle decides to tick up and they, you know, and Watford plus half a goal becomes plus money or better. I'll probably end up playing that, but other than that, I'm just gonna stay away from this relegation battle.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think the numbers uh, may not show it, but it's just there's some times where you just you look at a number like plus two fifty five and you're getting it to play against a really bad team. Uh, You just got to take it. Uh, Watford, they're sitting at 13 points. Burnley at 11, Newcastle 11, Norwich at 10. Somehow Norwich has remained in touch with everybody else, which is unbelievable. Uh, It's been a a really strange uh, season in terms of the relegation fight. Uh, But yeah, I like Watford here. Moving on to the 12.30 p.m. kickoff on Saturday. It's a rematch from Monday in the FA Cup. Aston Villa plus 205 hosting. Manchester United plus one thirty. Uh, the draw is plus two fifty. Ralph Rangnick's Manchester United. Maybe he's just not the right guy for the job. Maybe Ole wasn't the problem. Maybe this team just isn't constructed well. Who knows? But Manchester United—they're not. They've not been very good. It's kind of hard to justify backing them, especially as a road favorite. But it feels a little. Even though they did win, it feels a little bit like a buy low spot here on United because everyone is so down on them. They shouldn't have won. That game, and when Manchester United puts in a performance like that, everybody takes notice about it. It's talked about in all the papers in England, so even though they did win, it's not like the sentiment is going to inflate their price that much. Meanwhile, uh, Asad Villa, we know this kind of the story right now with Gerrard, very good defensively, struggling to create offensively consistently. Um, they shouldn't have too much of a problem with a uh, United defense. It's still not very good. It's just, they, they just look disjointed under Ragnick. It looks like nobody knows what they're supposed to be doing, which is not too dissimilar from what we saw under Solskjaer. I think, honestly, I'd be closer to United in this game, but uh, I'm going to be passing in Villa and United. <laughs> Steven Gerrard was giving it to United fans uh, before the game and then ended up losing. So that was funny. And as an Everett fan, I did like to see that.
0: Uh, but Anthony, uh, you do have a lean in this one. There's there's some concerns. Uh, Scott McTominay is suspended. Luke Shaw is suspended for this match. Harry Maguire remains questionable. Ronaldo did not play in the FA Cup match against Villa, ironically, on Monday. Uh, that was at home. Now they're on the road. The market has not moved a ton off of uh, off of the performance on Monday. It moved about five cents in United's favor, but not noticeable Uh, most shops. I lean towards Villa here, but I need a better number than the one currently offered. The way I see this match Villa will set up being very difficult to break down. When they played the first time at Old Trafford, United had 27 shots, which is a ton, but not one big scoring chance until the penalty by Bruno Fernandes that was saved in stoppage time that led to Villa winning the match. So I I really don't see how they break down a pretty sturdy defense. And therefore, I lean towards Villa. You could play a draw no bet number. I wouldn't hate it. But when you look at just all the injuries that are piling up for United, the, the biggest problem with Ragnick right now, one, the midfield personnel is not great. Two, the right back is a major issue. Three, Ronaldo does not really fit the system, even with Ragnick particularly well. And then you throw in that Sancho's been now injured. Brashford's very out of form and doesn't look right at all. Cavani's aging. Like there's a lot of issues with this squad that don't really get fixed by a managerial change. And I don't really know anymore, how much we can buy long-term on United. I was optimistic with Ragnick, but now I'm starting to be a bit skeptical. Yeah. One thing I'll mention that
1: this line has, you know, it's kind of shows how kind of smart the market has kind of become because obviously Manchester United beats them one nil in the FA Cup. They, before that FA Cup match, they opened up at minus 105. And in the last about two days, United has crashed all the way down to plus 135. So there's been some big market movement, obviously with McTominay and Luke Shaw out, that's, a concern for United defensively, but on the flip side, McGinn is out for Aston Villa. Triore is at Africa Cup of Nations, so they have some issues themselves. It's just kind of interesting, and I I, I question at what point do we have to play United because I have them projected at plus one thirty. So if I can get you know if this becomes a pickem and I can get United at you know draw no bad at minus one ten, I think I might have to end up playing that.
0: I would agree on that front if it got to that point. I think a lot of that was the Ronaldo move because it was a surprise that he was left out right. of the Monday team altogether. And muscle tightness— who knows how long that lasts? You know whether he'll be able to go. I, I'm guessing they're going to be more careful with him than not, but we don't really know. And at a certain point, who who is the midfield depth? Are we really going to get Fred and Matic again? Uh, I think Villa will happily sign up for that. McTominay has been in pretty good form to his credit, so there's a lot of uncertainty with the united situation also the center back situation is not great so i'm not really looking to back them as a road favorite against a solid villa team but like you mentioned if it gets to a pickem i think that that really changes the the number here whereas if united gets down to say plus 105 plus 110 i will be firing on villa so even if ronaldo's in which if he is in i i expect some market movement towards united i'm not really concerned about ronaldo's impact and so i'm happy to fade the market overreaction to ronaldo and grab some Villa plus a half.
2: We'll turn the page till Sunday morning, 9 a.m. Eastern time. Liverpool minus 310. Massive favorites at home hosting Brentford plus 850. The draw is plus 475 for this one. Brentford was picked apart a little bit over the midweek by Southampton. However, we talk about Brighton being a good underdog. I think Palace fits a good profile as a strong underdog play. and Brentford too, because this is a defense that can just turn basically any game into a coin flip, no matter the opposition. Uh, they have played really well against top-tier teams throughout the season. They allowed 1.02 expected goals to City, 0.25 expected goals to Chelsea, and they won the expected goals battle against Liverpool in a 3-3 draw and the reverse fixture here. So, I mean, 8.5-1 to one against a team that's going to be missing Sadio Mane, Mo Salah, uh, among others. And look, Liverpool has some bad karma coming their way because Jurgen Klopp maybe has been fussing with uh the covid tests and they're also not in great form oh two and one in their last three wind draw loss so i think brentford worth a shot on the money line here for sure uh anthony anything for the reds and the bees yeah i don't hate it
0: uh we saw last year when liverpool wasn't getting the production they normally get out of sala and Mane. of course they were out there but they were not finishing chances that they kind of crumbled uh and they really don't scare opponents without those two. And I know they, they have other guys. Jota, Firmino is getting healthy. Origi's actually been solid, but they don't really have a ton of the winger profiles that Mane and Sala kind of take up. So, I, I mean, I'm interested to see what happens here. Uh, probably going to end up staying away here. The, the one concern is Brentford's been much better at home than away. They've had very little attack when they've gone away from the Brentford community stadium. I've said this before, their home numbers, despite playing a much tougher schedule at home, have been really impressive. But they've also played the big teams well. And I think you have to credit them for that as well. Uh, They've been a a pest. You know, uh, the B's have been a bit of a pest for the big sides. So uh, a lean toward Brentford for sure. Don't hate the eight to one at all, uh, but I'm going to be staying away here. The last game on the uh,
2: Premier League slate that we'll touch is West Ham, minus 155, hosting Leeds United, plus 425, the draws plus 320. Leeds is coming off a uh, a big win over the, <laughs> in the last time they were out and uh, a really touching moment with Marcelo Bielsa hugging his assistant. It really looked like the weight of the world came off his shoulders there as they kind of clinched, uh, at least they, they clinched uh, their ability to take a deep breath. And put the relegation battle behind them for the time being. They're about what at least eight points or so above the drop zone right now, and that was win against Burnley too. So I mean, this is maybe a letdown spot for Leeds, but I also think you get once again you're going against a West Ham team that they got to play Norwich City on uh, on Wednesday. So you can't really look too much into it, but they are still on sort of wobbly ground here without Angelo Agbana. Thomas Soychek was out today. If this West Ham team doesn't get bodies back. It's going to be a little bit of an issue. And I think Leeds, you know, at some point, I think they're they're due to pull a win against a bigger club uh, this season. They do have the talent to do it. They do play a a really tough, annoying game to play against. Um, And it is a bit of a a buy-low spot, considering that they just lost 2-0 to West Ham in the FA Cup over the weekend. So I think the number here is a little inflated on on Leeds United, who maybe they, they start clipping some results together. Plus 425 to go against West Ham is, I think, good enough to get involved. Anthony,
0: you agree with me, right? I do. West Ham has a negative expected goal difference the last two months. Uh, they're just not playing at the level that they were Leeds, I'm not going to pretend that they've been any good. They've been about minus uh, half a goal, minus 0.45 per 90 in the last two months. And, and a lot of that has come because of the injuries. They have not been able to sustain the Bielsa ball uh, because all their players are getting hurt or they're getting COVID. Uh, but they've also been way unlucky conceding about 1.6 XGA expected goals against per 90, but they're actually conceding closer to two goals. They've had a lot of bad penalty luck defensively, conceding a ton of penalties. Uh, Melier has been well under expectations at shot stopping. All these things that we tend to expect to progress uh, positively for them against the West Hand team that I think is getting a little bit too much love in the market. We saw a lot of market movement against them, against Norwich. I thought that was a little weird. You know, Norwich is Norwich, but Leeds is a, a, definitely a class above that. Uh, and, and we're getting a, a pretty good number here at the plus one minus minus one thirty, one thirty fives are out there. Uh, that's where I'm playing this. I just think that West Ham continues to be a little bit overrated as a favorite uh, against a team that can cause them some issues uh, and, and press them uh, effectively. Yeah. It could be a, a pretty
2: wide open game, crooked number, maybe uh, BJ. That's where you're looking.
1: Yeah. I like over three goals and even money. The West Ham offense, we obviously Norwich is Norwich, but, you know, they've created close to about eight expected goals in their last four matches. I mean, that's a real big tick up from when They first lost Zuma and Obana. Their their offense really tanked and they didn't really create much. And now they get to go up against the Leeds defense that has allowed 16.6 expected goals in their last eight matches. West Ham is a little above average uh, against pressure. They're around seventh in offensive pass per defensive action and pressure success rate allowed. I think this is a situation where you have a Leeds team who is going to be without Diego Urente, without Liam Cooper, without Calvin Phillips. And potentially Leeds will be getting, you know, uh, Patrick Bamford and Rodrigo have been upgraded to questionable. So if we see both of them, then that could be a huge boost to the Leeds offense because they've really struggled to create chances in, Bre- in uh, Bamford's absence. I have 3.13 goals projected for this one. So I think there's a little bit of value on the over, but given basically both teams without two, their best two center backs, I think this could be a wide open game with a lot of chances at both ends. So over three goals is even money for me.
2: That wraps up the Premier League portion of the program. We will move on to the Bundesliga and now our favorite bets in Germany. Anthony, we had a nice hit with Borussia Monk and Gladbach the other day. Gladbach is back, back to block, as you like to say. Oh, man, it what a, a eight, win.
0: was it eight. I, I got, I think, eight, eight and a half to one or so on. Yeah, I had about seven, plus 770. But oh, I, I got the number after some COVID news.
2: Yep, and uh, that was nice. So I'll let you go first to try to keep the momentum going.
0: Yeah. Shout out to the the German person that uh, shouted out my Gladbach jersey that I was wearing on Friday uh, and acknowledged it. Uh, I was on away, but I I did uh, rewatch the the highlights of the match. Epic win for Gladbach. I did back them again this week, uh, but they are not my favorite play. Uh, We're we're now doing our best bets from across Europe uh, on actionnetwork.com. You can check those out for each of the other four leagues besides the Prem. I'll be doing the Bundesliga every week, and this week – I'm finally buying low on Wolfsburg. I've been waiting for my opportunity to jump in. I almost did against Köln. They blew it. This team has been an abject disaster in terms of any metric you want to look at, but they haven't been quite as bad as maybe their position in the table or their winless run, really just losing run has been. They've lost now eight consecutive matches across Champions League and Bundesliga. They're sitting in 14th. Like They're almost in a relegation battle here. But their expected goals suggest that they're nowhere near that. They're about an an average Bundesliga team. Expected goal difference is pretty much dead even. And they continue to just never take any of their chances at either end of the pitch, whether it's opponents scoring effectively against them or them not taking chances. They only have 17 goals despite 26 expected. Uh, That's why part of the reason they were in for Ricardo Pepe, they didn't end up getting him, but they were in for him because they need more goal scoring. They've switched between a three at the back to a four at the back. Now they're back to a three at the back. This is as good of a get right spot as you're going to have at home against Hertha, who is dreadful at pretty much everything in terms of defensive uh, categories. And their attack has really been struggling. They've had a lot of injuries lately. So I'm, I'm backing Wolfsburg here, minus 105. This is as good of a spot as you're ever going to have to back this team that's really struggling for goals. Uh, BJ, what do you have for the Bundesliga this weekend? Well, I have the
1: hottest team in Germany, Michael. Gruther Furt, <laughs> red hot, five points. In their last four matches, three clean sheets in those four, red, red-hot grutter And listen, I understand we make our jokes on here, and we've backed Grutter, and they've just completely you know, faltered and lost. But going forward, they're probably going to be providing value week in and week out because, we've said it before, their minus 36 actual goal differential is not as bad as it seems. That seems really, really bad. But their expected goal differential is only minus minus. which is around only one expected goal worse than their opponent armenia Bielefeld, who has a minus 15.2 expected goal differential but a minus eight actual goal differential so this is a relegation battle between the bottom two teams in the bundesliga i'm not going to sit here and try to pretend that gruther is actually good they're one of the worst teams in germany there's no denying that but Armenia Biafield has done a ton of smash and grabs this season, especially lately where they've just gotten completely dominated and they somehow walk away with points. Their last two matches, they beat RB Leipzig two nothing on the road, lost on expected goals 0.7 to 1.9. They drew with Freiburg this past weekend, 2-2, but lost on expected goals 0.9 to 2.2. In fact, Armenia Biafield has only won the expected goals battle three times all season long. Their offense is pathetic at trying to create high-quality chances. They've only created over one expected goal six times this season. I've only created three big scoring chances in their last seven matches. The first time that these two teams met, it was, I think, the second weekend in the season. It was a 1-1 draw, but Gruther really should have won and took in all three points. Armenia got a red card in the 68th minute, but Gruther won the expected goals battle 2.3 to 0.6, and they had 32 touches in the penalty area compared to only 10 for Biafield. So I think it's insane that Bielefeld is a minus 105 favorite, although they are at home where they have the worst expected goal differential in the Bundesliga and have only won once. So give me Gruther plus half a goal at minus 110.
2: Uh, give you Gruther, give me mines minus one plus 135, taking out Boca mine's second best expected goals allowed in bundesliga the Bochum offense is near the bottom in basically every underlying metric we look for mine's not a prolific offense by any means uh but the Bochum defense is not good either so i do trust that the mines offense can get some separation here and then the defense can hold on to cash a minus one at plus 135 that's a 9 30 a.m kickoff on saturday morning uh syria now i've got nothing in syria this weekend so i'll let
0: anthony Take it first. Yeah, BJ stole my pick, fading the Verona luck box. Uh, He took it first, so I give him that. But I'm going to be on Udinese plus one and a half against Juventus on the road on Saturday afternoon. Juventus had a pretty incredible come from behind victory uh, over the weekend Uh, against Roma. They were down three to one. They were completely getting played. BJ had the money line on Roma. (laughs) Just absolute tragedy. Another two-goal defeat for one of his underdogs. I don't even know what to say anymore, but what I can say is that Juve is an absolute luck box. Um, There was a period where they were playing at a higher level and and getting more margin, but the defense has considerably fallen off uh, of late, number one. And when you look at uh, the fact that now Federico Chiesa is out, that is a huge loss for this team. He's going to be out potentially through World Cup qualifying, it looks like, so... Uh, going to be a big blow for Italy as well. But in terms of this match, I don't really trust Juventus to get margin against anybody, especially a team like Udinese who has a pretty solid defense. When you look at their numbers, uh, their attack and their defense are both solidly in the mid table of this, of, of Syria. And so my projection only has them at about a 1.2 underdog. And I, I get a 1.5 with a little bit of juice. I'm happy to take that. I just do not trust them to get margin. And when Udinese blows it and loses late, They're probably going to lose by one, so you still cash your bet because they will blow it. That's just a given with this team.
2: Uh, BJ, take us to Syria, uh, and then neither Anthony nor I have anything for league. Um, So we'll just both go on mute and let you take us from Italy to France here.
1: Yeah, be careful with Udinese because I backed him this past weekend and they gave up six goals to Atalanta. But we're going to go with Sassuolo, plus 125 against Verona. Sassuolo is red hot right now, unbeaten in their last nine matches with their offense carrying them. They've created a whopping 15.4 expected goals in those nine matches, including a 4.1 expected goals this past Sunday against Empoli. In fact, Sassuolo in their last two matches since they came back from the break six big scoring chances. So going up against a Verona defense that has only kept two clean sheets all season long, I think is a fantastic matchup for their offense. And Anthony already mentioned, and let's talk about it, how overrated this Verona attack is. They have poured in 37 goals this season off of 28.7. Expected and are 14th in big scoring chances. So offensive regression is coming, and it might come in this match against a Ceswello against defense that is fifth in big scoring chances allowed. The big thing for Verona and why they've been so successful, especially against the smaller sides, is they're very they're a very good pressing team. They're top five in passes per defensive action, pressure success rate, and ball recoveries. However, Ceswello is top five in both pressure success rate and ball recoveries allowed, so it's going to be very difficult. For Verona, who is used to winning the ball in the middle of the pitch and getting it going forward. Finally, Sassuolo, much better at home than they are on the road. Plus 3.9 expected goal differential at home versus minus 2.6 on the road. I have Sassuolo projected at minus 105, so I like the value on them at plus 125 to grab all three points at home. And then let's move over to France, and let's take Lens plus 120 on the road against Saint-Étienne. I hope I pronounced that correctly, Anthony. So, Etienne, I, I get that they are undervalued club. Minus 23 actual differential, but only a minus 10.1 expectable differential. But I think the market is kind of overvaluing them in this spot, even though they've been so bad. Things have really just gone bad to worse for them. Their last five matches in league on, they've lost all five by a combined score of 12 to 1. And in those five matches, they have created zero big scoring chances, but conceded twelve. In addition, Saint-Étienne is currently without five starters who are all at the Africa Cup of Nations, including their top striker, Kaziri, who has created 25% of their expected goals this season. If Saint-Étienne has one positive on the season is that they are one of the best pressing teams in League One. They're fourth in passes per defensive action, third in pressure success rate, and second in ball recoveries. However, Lenz is top five against the press this season, so it's not a great matchup for them. I've talked about Lenz at length before. One of the best offenses in league on top five in every single offensive category, including averaging 1.47 non penalty expected goals per match and they are creating 1.54 expected goals per match on the road That's second best in league on behind only PSG. I have lens projected at minus 109 so I like them at plus 120 to grab all three points.
2: Now on to our favorite underdogs for the weekend. As usual, I tell you that these bets are not for the faint of heart and to tread lightly because they are underdogs for a reason. And that is especially true with mine. Brentford, baby, plus 850, the Bs, a big price to go against Liverpool at Anfield. Liverpool is going to be without Mo Salah. They're going to be without Sadio Mane. And they're taking on a defense that should be able to hang with uh, a depleted Liverpool offense. Brentford is sixth in non-penalty expected goals allowed, fifth in shots per 90 allowed. Uh, And I know that their home road splits aren't great. However, they have shown the ability to hang with uh, good teams all season long. They held Manchester City to 1.02 expected goals in a 1-0 loss. They hung with Chelsea, lost 1-0, and only allowed 0.25 expected goals to the Blues. And then they beat Liverpool on expected goals, uh, 2.94 to 2.26 in a three, three draw in the reverse fixture. I know it's unlikely. I know it's a kind of a scary proposition to go against uh, Liverpool, especially after Brentford's performance against Southampton over the week. But I think you're getting a great number here, eight and a half to one on a good team and a team that profiles as a strong underdog Anthony, who is your favorite pooch?
0: Yeah. Once again, shout out to Wolves for last week's uh... victory. But this week, I'm going to one of my other favorite underdogs to back, and it's Atalanta, plus 210 against Inter Milan. Uh, Inter Milan has won nine consecutive games against opponents in Italy. So that's eight straight wins in Serie A. They have taken total control of the title race. They are going to win the title. They also won the Super Cup uh, match against Juventus on Wednesday with a goal in stoppage time of extra time, the 120th minute, Alexis Sanchez. And look, I understand they're very good, and they're the better side here. But they are an overvalued road favorite against Atalanta team that has been absolutely trucking opponents of late. Uh, a dominant win over Venezia in the Super Cup match. They got an unlucky draw with Genoa. Genoa didn't uh, get, register any expected goals in that match. Uh, and they had a 6-2 dominant win against Udinese as well. So is playing well. They're getting a home spot here. Also, a rematch of a game that was probably the game of the year in Syria. at least one of them. Uh, it was a 2-2 thriller. Inter closed minus 110 in that game. They're now plus 130, 135 on the road. That's not enough of an adjustment. I understand we upgraded Inter, but the market's just showing them too much respect off of all those straight wins. So I like to plus 210 at home.
2: And BJ, your favorite underdog?
0: Well, Michael, I have my
1: own very personal game of the year in France this weekend. Marseille is taking on Lille. They're... Is no reason in the world why Marseille should be a favorite in this match. Let's first start with expected goal differential. Marseille is overperforming yet again, plus 12 actual goal differential, only a plus 5.5 expected goal differential. While Lil, I feel like a broken record talking about them every single week, but I'm going to do it again. They have an even actual goal differential, but a plus 9.2 expected goal differential. Sure. Marseille won one nothing this last Friday against Bordeaux and created 2.2 expected goals. But for some reason, Ligue 1 allowed this match to go on with Bordeaux having 20 guys out due to COVID. Even the Bordeaux fans were protesting outside the stadium before the match. So now this is like the third time it's happened this season where Marseille has been clashing with fans for whatever reason. Marseille, if you look at actual goals, they're the number one defense in France. They've only allowed 15 goals in 19 matches. That's great, right? Well, they've conceded 22.1 expected goals. So they're going to, defensive aggression is coming. On the flip side, Lille has conceded 26 actual goals, but only 19 expected goals. And that's the best mark in France. When these two teams met earlier in the season, Lille completely dominated them. in a 2-0 win with a brace from Jonathan David, who should be returning from COVID uh, for this match. Lil won an expected goals 2.2 to 0. 0.6. They had 33 touches in the penalty area compared to only 18 from Marseille. Marseille is also gonna be without one of their uh, young strikers, Bamba Diang, who's with Senegal at the Africa Cup of Nations. He's created the second most expected goals on the team behind Dimitri Payet. I have this match projected right out of Pickham. It's, you know, slight favorite to Lil. So getting them at over two to one, currently I believe at plus 215, I think it's a fantastic price. This Marseille team, I hate them. They continue to overperform and somehow get results. So this is my own personal game of the year. Lil plus 215.
2: Brentford, Atalanta, and Lil. You parlay all three of those teams together. 92 to one. 92 to one. Always nice. All right. uh, We will wrap up the show with our favorite bets uh, for the Premier League this weekend. Uh, BJ, we'll go right back to you. What is your favorite EPL bet this weekend?
1: Arsenal-Tottenham over two and a half goals at even money. What you're getting here is you're getting the third and fourth best offenses since Antonio Conte took over at Tottenham. Tottenham averaging close to two expected goals per match, Arsenal around 1.9. You also have an Arsenal midfield that's completely depleted with, with Thomas Partey and Elneny off to Africa Cup of Nations. With Granite Shaka out injured, they're going to be have to, potentially have to move Martin Odegaard back to a central, more central midfield position. But the emergence of Gabriel Martinelli for Arsenal has completely revitalized them. He's scored four goals in his last eight matches and has a 0.46 expected goal per 90 minute scoring rate. Tottenham, on the other hand, there hasn't been a match where they've been held under one and a half expected goals since Conte took over. I love how. Both of these offenses are playing. This is a huge North London derby. Both teams have to go for this. I have 2.85 goals projected for it. So I love over two and a half
2: goals at even money. For me, I will take Watford uh, plus 255 traveling to Newcastle Saturday at 10 a.m. Eastern. And you got to just embrace the chaos with this Watford team. They give up a ton, but they do have the ability to create offense uh, here and there. And they can find the back of the net. Very, very few of their games will feature either team with a zero. None of their games will feature uh, Watford posting a zero, but this Newcastle defense is terrible. And I trust the Watford offense to be able to score at least once and then hopefully hold on. But I think you're looking at a team that should be able to punish uh, a really, really bad defense here in, in a huge relegation battle and There were some encouraging signs from Watford against Tottenham in their last Premier League match. They held Tottenham to one goal and Tottenham created nearly two expected goals, but that was an improvement over what we've been seeing from the Hornets lately. So give me Watford, give me the Hornets uh, in a good spot. I will always take plus 255 to go against this Newcastle team right now. They're terrible.
0: Uh, Anthony, it's up to you to wrap up the show. Norwich and Everton, both teams to score yes is minus 120. You will not find a better spot to back Norwich than this one. At home, they've had an embarrassing run of matches lately, they've looked completely dead, but they have not scored in their last five matches, despite creating a little over uh, four expected goals in those matches. When you think about it, Everton is getting a lot of their attacking pieces back. But their defense, especially away from home, has been very mediocre, especially when you consider their defense in even game states has been among one of the worst in the entire Premier League. They've also been one of the worst when they're playing with a lead in terms of expected goal difference and expected goals allowed. So I'm not expecting them to not score here. I think they will get one or two. But I also think this is the time for Norwich to finally get on the board and cash at both teams to score ticket. It's a bit of a dead cat bounce spot, but I think the Canaries get on the board and keep this game somewhat competitive
2: all right uh that'll do it for this episode of wonder goal hopefully we get all 10 of these premier league games in this weekend and then we will see you uh on the other side of the weekend on monday morning to preview some makeup games and among other things so for anthony de bundo bj cunningham i'm michael eva thank you for listening